Welcome to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwamenique Sukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwamenique Sukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Sukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host. Today we're going to talk about be alert, therefore prepared. As a therapist, I have worked with countless individuals over the years, been many years, and especially women. In the days that Jesus Yeshua walked the earth in human form, he was a respecter and lover of women. This is evident in the fact that his first redemptive act at his resurrection was to speak to the woman Mary and tell her to go tell her brothers to meet him in Jerusalem. She was given this assignment to speak into the lives of men. This was the very first redemptive act that he did. He trusted her to deliver his words. And her great love of him was shown in her act of attending to his dead body and visiting the tomb in which he was laid to rest. You know, many times the creator of the universe speaks to my heart in picture stories and words, and that's a lot of what my podcast is about, are these stories, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, and that's the way it is for me when I feel like the creator speaks to my heart. And if you read the scriptures, he often uses the parables, the stories, to be able to get his truths into the hearts of his followers. And this same thing happened for me on the day that Yeshua Jesus imparted this message to me. I was laying down resting in my bed, and I heard this in my heart, in my spirit. My people love the baby Jesus in the manger. They love, and they love the Jesus that healed the sick and performed the miracles. And they love the Jesus who was raised from the dead. And they love the Jesus who's coming back on a white horse as their king. But will they love my dead body? The Jesus who is dead hanging on the cross and the Jesus buried in the tomb where I can't perform a single service for them? Will they love the dead body of Messiah and will you? Immediately in my mind's eye, I saw Yeshua, Jesus, hanging on the cross and I saw the cross surrounded by whom? By women. I saw them take his body down from the cross and prepare his body with the love and care. And I saw in my mind's eye Mary coming alone to be at the tomb just to be near his dead body because she loved him so much that even though he could do nothing for her in the natural at all, she just wanted to be near him. Over the years, I've walked alongside people at the end of their ropes and the deep waters of pain, and and their struggles. And I have this thought and this question and invitation come to me again. Will you love the dead body of Christ? And I've had the honor and the privilege to do that for many, many years. Working with women over the years, I've learned that the average woman loves deeply and loves long. 
I've been to many Al-Anon meetings because I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. Uh, my father was an alcoholic, and as, a, as an adult, I did a lot of my own recovery work to deal with the trauma of that and to live responsibly and not addictively myself. And in those Al-Anon meetings for families of alcoholics, there are <laughs> there's very few men that attend. It's predominantly a lot of women. Now, there are some meetings where that's different, but the average meeting, meeting is predominantly women, and every once in a while you'll have a little, a few men in those meetings. Now, with the parents of alcoholics, Al-Anon meetings, there's a lot of men in those that are there for their because they love their kids so much. In the Al-Anon, regular Al-Anon meetings, where you're the spouse of or family member of an alcoholic, few men. The chairs are filled mostly with women. Why? Because men do not normally stay with alcoholic partners. Many men will not stay with a chronic situation or struggle with a partner who is chronically dysfunctional. I think part of that is women are just made to nurture because they have that gift within them as a mother and God has given them that ability to love deep and love hard and love long because that's what you have to do for a mom. It's, it's you know, it, even in nature when you see a mama bear or a mama lion or they are, they just have a deep love and protection for their children. And that can happen for women, even in their marriages as well. However, sometimes women will need help and validation to leave an abusive or toxic situation, especially if they're involved in a male-valued religious system that keeps them subservient. In one of my sessions with a woman, she shared with me that when she became engaged to her husband, he had given her a beautiful handmade coat for her engagement gift. The coat matched his coat so that they were a pair of coats, beautiful coats, handmade. She was blown away and so moved that he had taken the time to have these matching coats made for them, and she marveled at his thoughtfulness and his generosity. And she was really, really pr proud of her coat. And when she was telling me about it, she was really honored to wear it alongside of him uh, and her husband-to-be, and, and actually loved it so much, so proud of it, that they had their engagement picture made in these two matching coats. At their reception of their wedding, they changed into these matching coats as well and, and wore them at their reception. And you can imagine her devastation when she learned that the coats had been made by his ex-wife and had belonged to them as a couple, and the ex-wife had made them herself for them to wear when they'd been married. Devastated is not a strong enough word to describe her emotion. You know, she was telling me this story, and after she told me the story, she asked me, why would he do such a thing? And the words came to me really quickly, and I knew they were inspired from God because, you know, I have these things that come to me that I'm like, I'm, I'm not smart enough to say that. I wouldn't know that. But this is the words that came that I said out loud to her. He loves your role, but not your soul. He loves you functionally as in what you do for him or your function in his life as wife, your role, but not the soul of you as a person. Because he loves functionally, he can replace wife for wife, child for child, 
person for person. That's functional love. That's why he could pass the code on to you without any regard for you or his ex-wife, and it does not register. Over the years, I have many stories like this, and there are men and women who've come to me for guidance in living with a partner that loves functionally, one that loves their role, not their soul. Living in these kind of relationships can be a hardship and can be filled with deprivation, and it's not easy. One such type of a person, now let me say that not everyone that functionally loves is this person, but I'm going to touch on this in the next two, maybe even three uh, episodes because it's something I think it really needs to be talked about, especially if you're in a faith-based situation so that you can have discernment. But one such type of person that loves functionally is the narcissist. Narcissists love your role, not your soul. They love what you do for them, not who you are. And you can be replaced and often are in a minute. And you can even still be in a committed relationship with them and still be replaced. Um, and, And even if they leave you, they will keep you dangling on the line as a part of their supply in case they ever need you to function in their in their life again. They don't really shut the door on a lot of their relationships. They leave a crack in the door. These people have extreme difficulty changing and most of the time have no desire to do so. The narcissist does not believe that they need to change and are quite happy with their life of non-bonding detachment with little or no empathy for others. In fact, if you really were to talk to a narcissist and, and you're a person, a normal person with empathy and you explain to them and they see you feeling, they're like, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to feel deeply? Why would I want to have that? Why would I want that? That's stupid. Narcissists usually think in that way. So if you are involved with one and, and you do have empathy, where sometimes that that we can get hooked in that situation is where we project our empathy onto them. And we just assume everyone in the world operates out of empathy. And not everyone does. Narcissists and psychopaths do not operate out of empathy. It's important to be aware that this type of person actually exists and to be alert to this reality so we can be prepared in how to deal with these people and other difficult people that have extreme brokenness. Not everyone is safe to be close to. You know, we can love everyone. God made everyone. He made scorpions. I have a book that I wrote about scorpions. You can't hug a porcupine that I'll probably share at some point that you can get on our website at indigenousmessengers.com. But it's about the fact that God made everyone and he loves everyone and we can love, but sometimes from a distance. We have to understand we can't kiss a scorpion. That scorpion can be beautiful and God made that scorpion, but it's not wise to kiss one. Now, I love everything God made and I'm allergic to bees, but when there are honeybees in the pool and they're drowning, I will take my visor off my head and get scoop them out and put them on the side and sometimes blow on them to, to get them dry. But I'm not going to kiss a bee. And I've had to learn that over the years because I am really, I'm an empath. So I'm driven by empathy as far as I can project a lot of empathy onto situations. There's a scripture in the Bible that says we're to be as wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. 
You know, the religious system I was a part of and have been a part of over the years, it was really good at teaching me how to be as gentle as a dove. But I really never was taught where I was about being as wise as a serpent. I did, however, I, I often got, often was told or taught that I should give others the benefit of the doubt. And we'd say that all the time. Uh, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, you know, such and such is happening, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And in and, and the system I was in, I was taught that that was virtuous. And I was encouraged to do this through words, through implication, that if I were being a good Christian, if I had a red flag about a situation or something popped up in my life that something didn't seem right to me, that I should just ignore that and give that person the benefit of the doubt. This was sometimes followed with a word about everything, you know, being covered under the grace by God, and we don't want to judge people, and and... I didn't even have to have people on the outside of me that did this. I would reinforce that with my own self-talk. It's like I was taught that, and then I really, I bought that hook, line, and sinker, and I really felt like if I didn't give the benefit of the doubt that I was mean or bad or non-Christ-like. And so you can see that when I share this with you, that why I got into some difficult situations with people. You know, and it's no wonder that the religious systems of today, they're easy places for narcissists, addicts, and psychopaths to hide in plain view. And it's no wonder, too, that, that the body of Messiah continues to be exploited by unfaithful leaders that have a lack of integrity because we, as gentle doves, have lost our discernment. I recently heard a well-known speaker, Dr. McGraw, talk about the benefit of the doubt. And this really, I've had different kind of life-changing moments. And I was reading this book, and he was talking about it in the book. And it, it just, it really just kind of opened up my mind. I was like, I had one of those mind renewal situations. He said that no, he no longer believes that we should give a carte blanche benefit of the doubt to other people. And he tells this story, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase the story, but he tells this story about learning about the benefit of the doubt in his own life and how this experience that he had changed his mind on the matter. He's a Christian leader and a Christian counselor, and when he set up his private practice, he was really successful very quickly. He was young, and his practice grew exponentially. It just it just went nuts. And so he was hiring other people to come in and, and you know, rent office space and do the, and it, it became really a big operation. And after about a year, he needed to hire an office manager to manage his affairs. And so he went to the pastor of his local church to inquire of anyone the pastor might know that would be good for the job. And the pastor mentioned this woman uh, that was in the choir at the time, and she was real involved in the church, and so many people really loved her. And he, he mentioned her. He said, I think she would be really good for the position. And Dr. McGraw said he immediately felt this uncomfortable feeling concerning hiring her. He just had this red flag about her. But because the pastor liked her so much, and he watched all these other people relate to her, he pushed that down, that feeling down in himself, and he it basically said, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. So he hired the woman, and she worked for him for some time. And 
one day he was out to dinner with a colleague and he gave his credit card to the waiter to pay for his meal. And the waiter came back to the table and said, well, your card's been declined. So he pulled out another, he had a second credit card and he pulled it out and that card was declined too. So he, he thought something's going on here. So he returned to his office and he began to look, look at his affairs, <clears throat> excuse me, he began to go through and see what was going on. And unbeknownst to him, the woman had been making out the deposit slip for him on his bank account and showing it to him and then putting the money on a different deposit slip and putting it in her account. She bought a car for her son and a house for him, herself, and she had embezzled most of his money. And he had to start over completely. He said, I no longer give people the benefit of the doubt. It's not wise. After I heard this story, I stopped doing it as well. It was like it validated for me. I was like, I'd been so taught the benefit of the doubt, the benefit of the doubt. It's kind of like something you would pick up from your family, you know, that you just always do. And, and my religious system family, this was what we just always did it. I didn't challenge it. But after I heard this story, I went, I don't need to do this anymore. And I realized for the first time that my doubt itself could actually be my discernment and I needed to pay attention to it. What is discernment? We hear about it all the time. The gift of discernment is in the scriptures. Well, discernment is the ability to judge well. It doesn't say we're not to judge. We're not to judge people, but we're to judge their actions. We're to judge fruit. We're to be righteous judges. It means to make a keen observation about others and about situations. You know, in the scriptures, Yeshua, Jesus, he did it himself. If you, if you read John 2, 24 to 25, it says that Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew what was in a man. He discerned. Dr. McGraw said that as far as giving the benefit of the doubt, that the doubt is there for a reason. And when we encounter it, we should take a step back and reevaluate the situation and the person we have the doubt about. That's not a mean thing. It doesn't mean we judge the person. They could be broken. They could, something could be going on in their, in their life. But we need to take a step back. If the doubt persists, we can step back even further. If after, after observation, we find that the doubt did not morph into more concern, then we can proceed to step back in slowly and cautiously. This is wisdom, not unrighteous judgment. What does it mean, the benefit of the doubt? It means we accept something or someone as honest and deserving of trust, even though there are doubts. Now, this is something we need to understand about this. This is risky if we don't know the person like well over time, and if we don't know, they have an honest track record. Because it says, you know, when I'm reading the definitions, we're accepting someone as honest. Well, if we don't know them, if we haven't had prior situations where that shows that they are, then is that wise? It's not wise. It may seem very benevolent on our parts, but it's not wise, and it's an easy way to become victimized. The doubt 
can be a warning that something is not right. And if we plow through it, if we ignore it, we can miss warnings that the road is out up ahead. In the days we're living in now, it's just unwise to ignore the red flags that come our way. They are worthy of exploration. Exploring them does not mean we are paranoid. And it doesn't mean we're always expecting the worst from people. It's wise to understand that people are human and that they are broken and that not everyone in every situation is safe. This is a way that we remain alert so we can be prepared. And that's what I'm talking about today. Alert and prepared. What does it mean to be alert? To be alert means that we're quick to notice an unusual or potentially dangerous or difficult circumstance. It means we can't be zoning. We can't be out of our bodies. We can't be always just going with the flow. We have to be aware. We have to be noticing. It's true that not all situations are potentially dangerous. That They're not. Or that they'll necessarily become dangerous. But we need to weigh out the situation and proceed with caution, especially when we have a red flag or we have a warning or something doesn't sit right with us. If we're alert... We can miss some of the potholes in life and not fall in. When we are alert, we will be better prepared to deal with what comes our way in this imperfect world that we live in. And it is imperfect. And things are going to happen. Being prepared for situations, it takes the emergency aspect out of life so we're better able to respond and not react. We're not going to be adrenalizing and dumping adrenaline all the time and be overstressed. Preparation makes our lives more manageable. That's what we're looking, that's what I learned in my 12-step recovery. It talks about our lives become manageable. Addiction causes our lives to become unmanageable. When our lives are manageable, they're less stressful. Some traumatic and difficult situations can be avoided if we simply are alert and we pay attention. The benefit of the doubt should be reserved for people that have built trust with us over time and through situations. That's when we give the benefit of the doubt, when we already have a track record with that person and they've proven to us that they're trustworthy. But we should use this sparingly in other situations, even with someone we know, if they're consistently causing situations that cause us to doubt their intentions, their trustworthiness, or they're lying to us, or they're doing things that aren't right, then giving them the benefit of the doubt is setting ourselves up as a victim. And it's not in our best interest, but it's not in their best interest either. Dr. McGraw says this, You don't give people the benefit of the doubt, nor do you judge them. You gather information and make an informed decision. This is something that I changed in my life after I found myself consistently trusting people that were untrustworthy and thinking that was the Christian thing to do. I have since realized that as a person of faith, operating in wisdom, that I must not only, I can't just be as gentle as a dove. 
which that's important. I want to be gentle and kind and loving. But I also have to be as wise as a serpent. Being a victim does not make me benevolent or virtuous. I'd like you to join me next week as we continue our talk about be alert, therefore prepared. And this one, I'm going to be sharing about wolves in sheep's clothing. That's going to be narcissists, psychopaths, and addicts in the world in which we live. I think it's very important for us to learn about that. And I want to share that with you next week. I want to thank you for being with me. Again, your time is valuable and you've shared it with me. I hope what I shared with you is going to be life rewarding and and give you tools in order to live your life better and more functionally and more manageably. If you'd like to know more about me and about the things that I offer, you can go to indigenousmessengers.com. That's the website that you can find that information on. And as I always say, I'd like to end this. I dedicate this to my children and my grandchildren who are the greatest loves of my life. Thank you for listening to Beatitudes with Dr. Kwamenik Sukina. Be sure to follow the show for more tools on how to experience wisdom in your everyday life for you to walk in victory with the right attitude.